So a couple of things I'd like to put forward. First thing is that the next thing that's going to happen involves us monastics will be the almsgiving. This is a sign of the reciprocity of the situation in which uh, everybody contributes, everybody participates and shares in a kind of quite a restrained and careful way. And so it's about establishing a relationship and in essence the relationship quality has a certain um, special focusing even sacred nature to it because when we relate to each other then uh, we have to come out of ourself we relate we have to come out of ourself a little bit meet the other in that uncertain place Uh, and that's uh, where yeah, these valuable uh, qualities of goodwill, uh, self-respect, respect for other meaning can occur. So the alms giving is not just having a meal. Essentially, it's that the principle is that the summoners, called them monastics, uh, make themselves available to receive what people offer. So the principle of our mendicant life is we, we never say, we never ask for anything. Because it, it's, so we just make ourselves available. That's, that's the principle of it. So it's not like, what would you want? What would you like? But may I offer? And then the idea is, whatever people want to offer, that you receive that. You know. So that allows a kind of certain openness and you come in as you will. You don't have to offer anything. <laughs> but <laughs> so that we could try again next time. <laughs> so the, uh, the uh, way this is done, it's been done for thousands of years in Asia is that the summoner just turns up and you go to a, a village in rural Thailand or Sri Lanka I expect and the monks just come walking down the road slowly so you can see them coming if you feel like you want to offer something you come out you need one wait excuse me and you make an offering uh, at times they may Knowing somebody wishes to make an offering, they may stand by the door for a while, a couple of minutes, see if it's okay, nobody's around, today's not the day they move on. So it's very much just a kind of subtly navigated thing whereby nobody's pushing anybody to come up with stuff. This has been going on, people tuned into this for thousands of years. And the uh, theme is that anybody can give something if they wish. So here, we're going to you know, try to bring this in. There'll be the, uh, the cooks will probably present some food and place it on the tables. And then those uh, yogis who wish to participate in offering, pick up the food. And then the monks, nuns will come past and then you just gently put a spoonful in to the bowl.
And if you don't know how much to give, you just put one spoonful in, and you, if the bowl doesn't move, you put another spoonful in. If somebody get, kind of pulls away, that means it's enough. Puts hand over, that means it's enough. You know, so you just this is kind of subtle negotiation around it, non-verbal. And uh, and then when that's completed, oh, when you do that, you, the bowl itself is considered a sacred object. They, the, we train ourselves to regard, treat the bowl as if it's the skull of the Buddha. In other words, it's treated with great respect. It's not just the pot to eat out of. It's, it's the whole symbol of the mendicant life is the alms bowl. So we always carry them around, look after them very carefully, uh, put them in place where they won't get knocked over we don't store them in the in the kitchen we keep them in our dwelling places so they're, they're held in great respect so this means if you're putting food into the bowl don't bang the spoon on the bowl just gently spoon the food in and so that essentially what is most highly regarded is the quality of the offering the offering gesture and the, and the smoothness or the clarity or the the caring quality that's imbued in that rather than the actual nature of the material object. As as gone forth people, we place matters of the heart above matters of material form. So these matters of the heart are generosity, sharing, respect, and uh, invitation and offering rather than demand and obey. So it allows a certain fluency. Some people have already, uh, quite, have already done this before, so um, I think if you're feeling not certain, I think every day there's going to be one or two people who are quite familiar with this, who will be at the head of the line, you just follow what they're doing. So that's the, the meal offering. It's all done in silence, and after the food has been offered, then we give the, the Anamodana chant. Anamodana means to rejoice in the quality of, of goodness. Um, so then you just pause and generally put your hands in Anjali as you collect that quality. The idea being that because it's done in silence and in a careful way that you can contemplate the mood of the heart as you as you put food into the bowl, you contemplate the mood of the heart, what's happening, you feel nervous, uncertain, and then just, okay, just work through that. It's just really quite a simple human gesture. And then as you get more confident, you can relax into it, the sense of dana, generosity, sharing, as you reflect upon this particular quality that's kept the uh, sangha going for two and a half thousand years. Without that, there wouldn't be a Sangha. At least the monastic Sangha wouldn't be there. and The teachings would not have been preserved. So though the offering of food is only one kind of offering, obviously there's been offering of shelter, hospitality, and so forth, then this is the symbol that crystallizes that, that nature of the relationship and the nature of dana, the nature of, of how that's, that's brought around. It's all free will. And so then you, when we chant that, we chant the Anamoda, it's reflecting upon this very quality of heart. So you bring that up and sit with that. And then you can uh, contemplate that sense 
and uh, and have your own meal and clean up. Mm-hmm. So, also there's a, in the morning time there'll be um, people have opportunity to offer breakfast, trays if, if they wish, if they don't, we can also go without. It's not really too much of a hardship. Um, but if you wish to participate in that, then you can sign up and be inducted into how that's done. But please, it's don't make too much of a problem out of it. It's not a major deal breaker one way or another. <laughs> um, this evening, to, in order to begin the formal teachings of the retreat, someone could request, formally request the eight precepts and formally request the desana, Dhamma talk. So this invitation from the uh, retreatants, the yogis, uh, sets up the uh, monastic in the position of uh, uh, of guiding. So that sets up the fulcrum of of the retreat. So if you could have have it in the books. We do a puja, and then perhaps take the someone would like to request the eight precepts and request the talk. We could do that then. So while you're finding your way in to the retreat, settling in, some of you have been here already for a while, but people are just arriving. Let's make the effort to to draw a circle around your life, keeping it within this particular uh, physical situation. So as you can walk around the whole of the IMS a retreat um, facility that's including the woodland. So keep around this particular property. Uh, you want to walk or exercise. So you've got some sense of a boundary. Uh, and bring all your concerns in within that. How you act, how you walk, how you relate to the earth, uh, how you relate to other people, how you relate to your body, and how you relate to the sacred. So these four compass points, the earth, nature, how you feel connected to that, or uh, you're in that sense of respect and openness to that, to your own body. So when the uh, retreat begins, then I can also uh, help to support that with some qigong for those who'd like to participate and how you relate to others so you know, the precepts and the whole sense of acting as a group is part of that and of course how you relate to the sacred your own values your own virtues both the moral virtues and the virtues in terms of parami how you lift them up, how you respect them, how you respect them in others, how you venerate them in these symbolic ways, using the shrine. And so that's the one that covers all of it. Everything should be held in that particular domain. So, yeah. so the earth, your body, other people, and the sacred, these are four compass points. Very often, naturally, we tend to come back to feeling we, we're just somebody who lives inside one of these bodies. Well, clearly, this is 
non-starter really <laughs> because we're obviously profoundly affected by the world around us we come from up, born out of other people's bodies we live dependent upon the air upon our culture upon our values so we're actually not bounded by a skin boundary mm. and so just bear this in mind when you're practicing together here you are practicing you're forming a new um, body if you like which is the body of the group this means uh, attention to obviously things like closing doors and banging around but also a sense of um, you know goodwill and sensitivity towards others and respect for them and making the effort to join in with the collective practices so we do meet and know each other and form each other help to form into a group and this is the morning puja chanting where you hear each other's voices and you hear the voices blend same thing in the evening when you come for the talk then you all take in that same Dhamma theme yeah, so you're all infused with the same qualities you resonate the same qualities and you experience yourself as part of this assembly in, through that means and this does help to lessen or at least highlight self-consciousness and begin perhaps to help you to come out of it the narrowness of it that kind of this is my territory and that's the end of the world <laughs> anything of that nature uh, and, and so we this is the way we we form our our, our retreat puja is the act of lifting lifting the heart in uh, praise devotion dedication aspiration these kind of um, terms so it's uh, literally to venerate that which is worthy of venerating to revere that which is worthy of revering to honor to praise to so using the image of the Buddha someone you could feel a sense of gratitude and respect for and the power of the Buddha power of awakening so you can bring these qualities to mind so the images are there to evoke and crystallize particular potentials in one's own jitta, one's own heart awareness obviously you've got large Buddha image there what you can't isn't configured here is the Dhamma and the, and the, which is our practice and, the, and uh, the path and Sangha which is our community so this of course these are both external and internal the degree to which one is practicing one has some path factors uh, and Sangha both yourself the group and also those who practice well throughout history and bring people to mind so you bring these qualities either literally these people or the qualities that are there any one of them as you run through it and then you just stay with that heart effect this is the act of recollection it takes a little work you, know, you often you bring it up and resonate with it and what does awakening mean to me what is compassion 
skill impeccable in conduct and understanding there are lists of qualities that uh, Buddhas embody and you can see all this is in the in the chanting so we're going to do this every day and of course the actual experience of, of doing this collectively means that there's a sense of a common tone common theme being established in which all our voices at least yeah, can can gather together and perhaps over time there's a sense of this is where our hearts and minds gather as a unity out of our separate histories and separate bodies and separate karma the sense of the collective will collective aspiration towards truth peace, virtue, goodness and so gradually over time this chanting acquires a particular mnemonic effect every time you, you collect you say it, you get the same effect you lift out of the daily circumstances it builds up over time it's one of these things it's not exactly a, like a push button but a gradual um, forming into the form of the triple gem the subtle form the internal form that rests in the heart <clears throat> the offering itself classically you have uh, three three factors which represent the factors of the path of sila virtue which is represented by flowers and flowers uh, rather than laws said to something when the mind has virtue it is fragrant there's a lovely natural beauty to it so this is important to get a sense of what the uh, sila is something beautiful morality virtue is something lovely in oneself and in others when you see it when you note it people's honesty or or a sense of honor sense of shame a sense of propriety and integrity the candles represent uh, the light of wisdom it's a gentle light particularly when you have a darkened shrine room there's a lovely soft quality to to the light of candles on the rather static glare of electricity Um, classically incense is used to represent the quality of samadhi something that permeates it's like fragrance that permeates uh, and has a a, a sweet tone in the heart but because of um, people's uh, possibilities of um, people who are negatively affected by by smell we use going to use water which is, has a similarity because the sense of gathering samadhi is collecting so you can use the vessel it's collecting and you're pouring good qualities into that which collects it which is the essence of samadhi the samadhi is not a grip it's a vessel and you pour good qualities into it and you hold it with mindfulness and they gradually fill up that's how samadhi comes around it's not a you know pinning your mind down it's making your mind strong mindfulness to carry uh, beautiful qualities and the purity of water clear clean rather than stained so when we activate this by pouring the water you can recollect also water pouring is 
often used to generate the sense or the mood or the image of um, water knows no boundaries. So it's a sharing medium. It doesn't separate. Like This is where you have people near and far, people you care for, people in trouble, and people you've, you're in, you're, you're, who are dear to you. Then the sense of water, just as water embraces everything, um, you, then you make your mind like water. You can spread out and embrace everything. You just see how what your limit is, where you want to put your boundaries. So people often use water to sh- to bring the mind to the sense of sharing, sharing blessings, sharing practice, sharing uh, fruits of practice, sharing concern with people who are uh, not physically present. And these are all qualities you can begin to <coughs> make use of through the act of puja. <coughs> I'll try to remind you of this periodically through the session. So the image, imaging aspect of mind. When you dedicate, you generally lift to your forehead, third eye, this is Classically, this is the center of enlightened intelligence, is the third eye. So it's like if you lift your sense of aspiration, yeah, I wish, and you bow your head to it. If you start with your heart, lift it to your head, so there's the mood and the conscious decision, dedication, and then you make the offering with both hands. So it's a very full embodied gesture. And you complete the offering, bowing, Three times the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So we'll begin this um, this evening, I think. So yeah, you now, right now, you have a another another meeting for dealing with other rotors. So we'll pick up the themes at seven this evening. Have a good day. <coughs>